determine if ally was a title that you were going to add to your bio or if it was going to be a way of life you walk in allyship you are acting as an ally welcome to beyond allyship a podcast that helps humans shift their understanding of what it means to be an effective ally and show up in allyship for marginalized communities Let's get it popping. Hello and welcome to the Beyond Allyship podcast. I am your host, Dr. J-Pop. And today I decided that in light of the more recent global awareness and the conflict between Israel and Palestine that has been going on for a very long time, I wanted to re-release an episode that I recorded this summer with Dr. Lisseth London. Now, I do want to say this is not my attempt to share my beliefs or opinions on this conflict, because while I am aware that societies with power dynamics steeped in hierarchy have similarities across the globe, I am in the learner's seat when it comes to this specific conflict and its history. And since I'm not an expert, there's really no need for me to add my voice to the conversation on the history of the conflict. But I've been watching the news and I've been watching the human interactions surrounding it on social media. And I did want to talk about a few things before I share this episode. Y'all, there is no best way to react to what we are seeing. Everyone is watching this conflict unfold through the lens of their individual lived experience. So it is only natural that people are going to come to different conclusions. But if you're listening to this podcast, you are attempting to look at life through the lens of allyship. So there are three things that I really want you to consider. Okay. One, allyship is a way of life. I know I say it all the time. But it's not just something you choose for one community in one moment. It's not just choosing to be an ally to the black community. It's not just choosing to be an ally to the LGBTQIA plus community or any of the other marginalized communities that exist. It is a practice. Allyship is a way of life. It is a practice. It's a practice of assessing your beliefs, your values, and the way that you function and how that has been influenced by supremacy culture. Taking that data and deciding what do I need to unlearn (laughs) that does not align with my desire to walk in allyship, seeing the power dynamics and the media that supports the power dynamics and how that impacts marginalized communities and doing what is in your power to dismantle systems that cause harm while educating other allies in your sphere of influence. I say all those things Because I want you to hear it's not just showing up in a moment. It's how you show up in life. And truth be told, it needs to be said that we are fighting an ideology, not people. We are fighting belief systems that uh, we've been indoctrinated into, which means there will be things that you start to see uh, that cause an internal conflict 
with you because you will start to see oppression. You will start to see marginalization. You will start to see how colonizing works. You will start to see all of these and how it impacts um, those that you are seeking to be an ally to. So yes, you will see information on the news. You'll see information on, on social media and it, it may cause you to start asking yourself some questions and that's a good thing. Allyship isn't just saying I'm walking in with this one belief. It's saying, no, 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 no. I'm listening to the voices that exist in this ecosystem and I'm trying to see who's crying out right now the loudest, who has the most emergent needs and how can I show up for them as I walk throughout my day. It is a way of functioning. Okay. Two, allyship is humanity centered, humanity, people centered. In times of crisis and conflict like this, you really should be seeking out the emergent needs of those closest in proximity to that conflict or crisis. And if there is no way for you to reach them individually, you are looking for those who are attempting to have boots on the ground, whether it be in aid, whether it be in trying to report, you are trying to amplify those voices that are going to be most helpful to the marginalized communities in the conflict. And you're looking for the ways to support them. If at any point it becomes self-centered versus humanity-centered, <laughs> if you're choosing to center yourself and you are not the closest in proximity to that crisis or related to someone in that crisis, then just ask yourself, what's my intent in this moment? And is my intent having the desired impact? Or is my intent the intent I really should be having in this moment? Okay. Lastly, true allyship requires you to be regulated it doesn't mean that you won't feel emotions, though. Anger, sadness, pain, frustration, all are valid emotions as we are all watching this conflict unfold. But if you are riding that emotional roller coaster, you might want to consider the ways you are unnecessarily triggering yourself. Naturally, you're going to want to look at the news. You're going to want to look at social media. You're going to want to research the ways you can help. Or if you're ignorant like me, you're looking for ways that you can learn in an unbiased way. But you need to find the outlets that suit you best because subjecting yourself to biased media or opinions and, you know, the, the chaos on social media might not be the best move. So if you're sitting here and you've heard all those things and you're saying, OK, so then what should I do? I want you to listen to this episode's perfect segue into it. This episode with Dr. Lisseth London is entitled Collective Trauma and Fight or Flight Advocacy. So I want you to give it a listen and I truly hope that you are able to take one thing from this and walk in allyship with that one thing. Here we go. Welcome back to another episode of Beyond Allyship with Dr. J-Pop. Today I am bringing back a guest. Yes, I said back again. I'm bringing back Dr. Lisseth London, who is the CEO and founder of Lisseth London Global Consulting, an organization dedicated to developing trauma-informed, resilient environments globally by building stronger organizations, individuals, and communities through trauma-informed education, training, and advocacy. Welcome back, Dr. London. 
Thank you for having me back again. Of course. (laughs) You know, you're going to be coming on a lot because there's a lot going on in this world of ours. And trauma is something that comes up a lot. And that is clearly a big part of what you do. Mm. I brought Dr. London into building allyship probably a couple months ago because I was noticing that there was a level of burnout that the members were probably feeling. Um, Mm -hmm. I will, I'll celebrate the day when we don't have to start a sentence with since 2020, but still we're here. So since 2020, Mm -hmm. I think that was probably one of the few times in history where the entire world was impacted negatively by an event. And I'm talking about COVID-19, but after that, there was just a cascade of trauma that came from that. And there were a lot of, namely white people or people with privilege in the group of the majority who saw a lot of things that triggered their humanity. And Mm -hmm. they decided, hey, I want to show up for people who are in marginalized communities because I recognize their wellness is important when it comes to our wellness as well. Mm -hmm. But something they're learning, which people in, you know, (laughs) marginalized communities know every day, those triggers come every day. And it can be hard to stay regulated when you are constantly Mm -hmm. being triggered simply because you care. So... One thing I want to ask you, Dr. London, to start us off, since it's all of us in this right now, what type of trauma would you call this? Uh, so the your just sentence that everybody's triggered, like it is a constant triggering aspect of what we all have been experiencing since COVID, right? And it's it's sad that that's how we are measuring time now, mm-hmm. but that's the reality of where we are as uh, as a society, right? And so you can look at the amount of trauma because it was not a pan- not only a pandemic, which is a medical health scare, mm-hmm. but also the violence that has increased, the fear of having to navigate all of those things and then having to function as normal. Mm. We will call something like this as collective trauma. Okay. Psychology Today mentioned that collective trauma is how we as a society continue to, and I'm going to paraphrase it because it's easier for people to understand instead of the jargon. It's like you are standing in the middle with a bucket and you're looking up at the beautiful sky and things are falling and you're just, your bucket is collecting all of these things, Mm. right? You are experiencing rain, dust, sand, rocks, all these different things. And you're like, what is happening? And you're, you're carrying this. Right. Yeah. And collectively as a group. Right. You are now experiencing this thing together. Mm -hmm. Right. It's not like you are experiencing something like flowers and rainbows and I'm experiencing the desert. We're all experiencing the same thing. Now we may process it differently, Mm -hmm. but collectively we are experiencing trauma the same. Does that make sense? We we appreciate you coming to our level. We truly, truly, (laughs) we truly do. So as I said, there are people who now they, their eyes have been opened. They are more aware. And every time they turn around, there is something to fight for. There is some group that is being attacked, whether it be on the news or in legislation 
it it's everywhere. And I kind of want to know how from the scientific side, how does that impact our activism or our advocacy? Well, in the looking at it from the collective trauma aspect, mm-hmm. right? It is the our response to what traumatic event occurred, right? That's our response to what's happening, right? The buckets of multiple things. Mm-hmm. And so how is that impacting us? in the advocacy world, in the in the space of us being the human service providers um, in this in this space and being at a level where your passion and purpose and desire are to support those around you who are saying, I'm hurt, I'm hurt. And you are going to them to help them, but you yourself are bleeding in the floor. Mm. And so to answer your question and to go further in your question is, is how is that impacting us as advocates? Is that exactly we have been for the past three years, Mm. we're not even going to count all of 2000. Okay. (laughs) Only the past three years. And in the past three years, we have gone through so much that people are trying to figure out their balance. Mm. And not understanding what that looks like because we have been in a crisis mode for so long. And so advocacy now is starting to look like, let me pour into you and then just let me just breathe here. Like, okay, we're good, but I'm going to still show up for you. Right. Advocacy has changed through the last three years Mm -hmm. regarding trauma. It's funny because I always when I think of fight or flight, I think of rush and there are Mm -hmm. a lot of what we will call new allies, new advocates, who time is just, they look at the clock and they say, man, we're just, we, you got to do it and you got to do it now. And, and and we're not making change fast enough and I'm not doing enough. And when I hear that, that's when I start to say, whoa, <laughs> maybe we should pause and take a beat. And sometimes I get looked at like I'm crazy, but I can't remember who who said this quote. It was either Audre Lorde, or Angela Davis, I don't remember, but I do remember the words, you know, this work, this type of work of activism is urgent, but it's so urgent, we have to go slowly because you're going to miss something if you do, or you're going to move with the wrong intention and that actually may change your course. So I guess I want to know, because everybody's well-meaning when they're trying to do this work, How can someone tell the difference between regulated activism and advocacy and unregulated activism or what we call that fight or flight activism? Mm -hmm. Great question. I think that this is where us as a society are in right now, trying to figure out "Mm, which one are we, right? (laughs) So one is when trauma continues to occur and crisis is still very much in your front door and you go from one crisis to another without you taking care of yourself, right? Mm -hmm. You continue to move as you are dealing with, okay, there's a shooting here. Let's go here. Let's do this. Let's advocate for this. Let's talk about this. Let's fight for this. And then that occurs. And then you're like, and then you jump to another one and you're like, that's you're in that space. Now, a healthy 
and I say healthy, <laughs> right? Activist is someone who understands that there's a traumatic experience that occurred. There's a crisis that is happening. I'm advocating in this space where my passion and purpose is, mm-hmm. where my, my heart and my voice needs to be heard. Mm-hmm. And they understand that through that process, I need to also take care of myself. Right. That is where like before there's another crisis, which we know it is a consistent thing. Life happens that you can go from one crisis to another within a blink of an eye. Mm -hmm. But a healthy advocate, a healthy activist, a healthy ally Mm -hmm. stops and breathes and creates a plan Mm -hmm. for what's next. Like we know crisis is coming. We know where we are right now. You have to have a plan for yourself first. And that's hard for people to to really grasp. Like, what do you mean a plan for myself? Okay, so if if you run out of milk, you already know what you need to do. Mm-hmm. If you know, run out of water and food, you know what to do. But why is it that we don't have that same planning when it comes to our em- emotional and our mental capacity mm-hmm. and our ability to advocate in the midst of crisis? We don't take time because we don't prioritize ourselves, mm-hmm. that we are in need of that. But it's just like water and it's just like food. I remember when the Tennessee Three, everything happened with the Tennessee legislation, and I was in the midst of some personal stuff, and mm-hmm. I had things going on with building allyship that I was working on. I also had some trainings I was doing. And I'm a person who actually, I want to show up at the protest. Like that has always been a part of me. Mm-hmm. It's not something that I feel fearful when I go do it. It's something that I actually, I, I don't want to say I enjoy because I don't want to have to go, <laughs> Right. but I can show up in that space and, and feel centered. Let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. But when it, when everything was going down and it was everything going on with the covenant shooting here in Nashville, I had done some, I had gone to some some talks with teachers where I was hearing about how kids who weren't at the Covenant School were reacting, how their anxiety was impacting them, how their fear was coming up. And it just, I was not, I was not regulated. And I recognized it. I don't think I had the words at the time. I just knew I can't show up. Mm-hmm. I can't show up at the courthouse, at the Capitol. I can't show up anywhere because I'm actually angry right now. And I'm not a good angry. (laughs) I'm not a safe angry. I'm not a okay angry. I'm a, I'm ready to pop off angry. And it was different for me because I wasn't just upset about what was happening in legislation. I was also hearing the other side of the story where I was seeing the kid, listening to the, what was happening to these kids mm-hmm. while I was watching our legislation play whatever game they were playing. And I was a little frustrated because there was a privileged aspect to people showing up for the covenant shooting when you just didn't see that motivation for the public schools that have been impacted around this country. Covenant school, while I believe every child deserves to feel safe and secure, it it was like everybody was rallying for these kids in this private school in a very privileged community. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I just, my heart broke for the kids that weren't in that community, but were still being impacted. And I I was angry. I was upset. Mm -hmm. And, it made me, that's what made me bring you on to, to building allyship because I said, I'm not even okay. So how are they okay? Right. <laughs> but for the new person who's saying, I'm just coming to show up. I'm new to all of this. I'm learning. I'm, I'm, 
the unlearning process is triggering, the the events are triggering. And then for the person like me who's trying to do work on front lines, I think we all need a plan. I think that's the one commonality when it comes to this. So how do we devise a plan for regulation when it comes to what we're facing? I want to acknowledge first what you mentioned. Mm -hmm. I think so many people are in that were in that space and are still in that space of the frustration and the acknowledgement of how privilege played a huge role in how things navigated after that event. And I think that the the only space that we can get to, right, is the self-awareness in order for us to create a plan, in order for us to create and understand what comes next, we first have to be aware. There is anger and frustration. Again, through this last three years, we are boiling with so many things and we want to, and we as a human race, you know, not only just a group, but because the collective trauma aspect (laughs) plays a role here, that I'm frustrated and angry because I'm seeing the people around me angry and frustrated. And I know they want to show up and I know that they want to do something, but they're so angry that they know that their own actions is going to deter the plan and deter Mm -hmm. what we're going to do as a society. And so awareness is a huge part. And so I wanted to acknowledge that part, knowing that "Mm, I'm angry and I will pop off. I may not, this is not a safe space for me to be at, right? Now, what do we do for for that is understanding the, the need for regulation. I'm aware, I'm angry and frustrated, and I don't know what to do. That's a good space to start. So if we are in that space, what do we need to do next? We need to figure out how do I address my biopsychosocial spiritual aspect mm. of that? Mm-hmm. What is it about me physically that I'm reacting to? What is it about that psychologically that's coming out? What is about it in the social aspect, in my spiritual realm, right? I need to understand how these things are playing a huge role. My society as a general that is impacting the way I move and engage in the trauma that I'm experiencing, right? Mm-hmm. In the crisis that I'm in. And so once we understand that also, then we move into, okay, so what? how do I equip myself? to know that when this does happen again, unfortunately, I hate saying that, but it's reality yeah. is that I now have a plan of what to do next. So I need to know if this happens, what do I need to do first? I need to be aware of where I am emotionally, mentally, right? The biopsychosocial spiritual aspect. Mm-hmm. Okay. Then that c- comes next. Okay. I need to connect with my accountability partner. Hey, I'm not doing okay. I want to do this, but I think I need support here Let's talk about it so I can process this with somebody. And then once you process that part, then create a plan. Okay, so I am going to go and advocate and I'm going to advocate, but I'm also going to keep checking in with my accountability partner so that while I'm walking these streets and protesting and I see something, I don't actually go pop off because I'm I'm checking in with someone. And then also the organizations mm-hmm. that are doing the work, right? What happens is when trauma occurs, we as a society in, I don't know another term to call it, but it, it has to, the the term of the white knight, right? I'm going to go and jump in and do and save. And we ha- we are ingrained into this concepts and, and that is not a healthy concept, right? That's mm-hmm. not a healthy thing to do. We need to know 
who are you going to connect with organization-wise that are doing the work before a crisis occur so that when it does happen, you actually have a plan on how to navigate the next steps. Okay, so we're going to connect here in this community and we're going to have a meeting to, to say, okay, this is what we're going to do. Okay, so now after that, they have a plan of this is our, our thread to make sure you're checking in with everyone. Hey, so the next thing is we're going to go and do this and do that. And so we are also going to come back. You, They actually have plans. But okay. people don't people don't know that because we come in in the midst of crisis. So again, all of these things are part of our safety plan. But all of that means nothing if you don't regulate yourself. Mm. What does that look like? Oh, let's say I'm not going to sit there and and breathe and say kumbaya. <laughs> I hear that all the time in my sessions, by the way. And I'm like, well, I'm not actually asking you to kumbaya here. I actually want you to breathe and stretch with me. Let's push up to the world, right? Let's push off this burden that you're feeling, this heaviness that's falling on you. Push the side like you're no longer in these box in this wall, mm. right? And push as you're breathing in and out. Stretch as you're touching your toes so that you can feel the pain and the, the stretching on your back because it feels like you've been carrying a lot, right? Mm-hmm. As you're breathing and doing these things, your body is regulating like, wait, so are we not in crisis? Are we here? <laughs> And yeah. so you move differently once you do that. Once you do that, you move differently in what your next steps is going to be. But we don't do that as a society. We don't really talk about that in the aspect of ally and, and advocacy and activism. Mm. We really don't. We just say, come on, let's jump in. And we get people burned out, dealing with compassion fatigue, and really just unregulated society jumping from one crisis to the next. Yes. Yes. Thank you for that. Now, I did. You mentioned that there are organizations Mm -hmm. that you could be affiliated with that already have these plans. Could you give us just like a couple examples? Yeah. So in terms of crisis, for example, like the pandemic, when all things were happening or the community that were experiencing some type of emergency there's the community emergency response team, the CERT, right? They do more of the aspect of like if, if disasters occur, you have FEMA, you have the Red Cross, you have the Association of Traumatic Stress so Studies, the ATSS, you have the Green Cross Academy of Traumatology. These are the individuals that train you to be in this space. I have been privileged, I would say, use that word, to be in spaces with all of these organizations and say, hey, this is where we actually need to start. Get back to self-regulation, get back to self-awareness. And what I focus in my trainings with people is starting from step one, how to be a trauma-informed advocate. Mm -hmm. What does that look like in regards to engaging after a behavioral impact? You have impacted by a traumatic experience. How is your behavior changing? How are you engaging with yourself and others? And then we move into the cultural aspect and then the the engaging with the, your customers or your clients. And, and then how do you become a well, healthy, holistic human service mm-hmm. provider in the midst of, if, of trauma? So we go through those aspects and then there's other trainings that we provide to continue to extend and support the individual so that they can carry on the thing and say, I'm trauma, I'm trauma informed and connect with these organizations because organizations now are requiring, right. Or even looking for people who are trauma trained, specifically trauma trained. And how do you ask questions? How do you engage with people in the midst of this type of crisis? Thank you so much 
-hmm. for that and for everything that you have shared with us today. I hope that it is helpful to those of you that are listening. Mm -hmm. Dr. London, if you could share any last words with everybody today, what would they be? You matter. You matter enough to take time to regulate for yourself. If you are not regulated, if you are not taking time for yourself, what happens is you get to the point that you're pouring out of empty cups and you're continuing to support others. And the way you engage with others starts to change and people feel it and people see it, right? You want to love people in the middle of crisis, but you can't do that unless you love yourself. And loving yourself Mm. requires you to stop, be aware of yourself, and take time to make sure that you're okay. We as traumatologists, right? That's what we are labeled. People who are trained in the trauma aspect of engaging not only in disaster emergency, but all of these things is we tell the people, if you're coming to work with us or volunteer with us, you need to know yourself. You need to, you need to know how to engage yourself and tell us when you know you have gone to that point that it's not healthy for you. If your awareness is not great, we and we are checking, we actually will pull you aside and say, mm, we need you to take some time for yourself. So we we want you to know that. And so my my last thing is just taking care of yourself because you matter. We don't want you to be burned out. Yeah. You bring something to the table, bring it we in a healthy you. space. Yes. Yes. Thank you so much for that. I will make sure that I not only link the episode that Dr. London already did earlier this season. (laughs) I will also link all of the organizations that she spoke to us about. Thank you again. I appreciate your wisdom. I can't wait to have you back as always. And that is the end of this episode. You all, if you liked this episode, go ahead and share it. I ask that you please leave a review. And if you have something that you want us to talk about, go ahead and send us an email. You can find that in the show notes. Until next time, Dr. J-Pop is out.